previously on the Sojo Files. So they told but even when I cleaned up that tape, I didn't see any blood. There was no blood. That's the point. All they have is circumstantial evidence, and you can't put somebody behind bars for the rest of their life on circumstantial evidence. The reason why is because circumstantial evidence is so easy to poke holes through. And, you know, people guess, you know, um, circumstantial evidence, it could be this story or it could be this story. It's questionable. You know what I mean? Hard evidence is something that's not questionable, that it's there and you can't go against it. Circumstantial evidence is like um, my word against yours. There's nobody else there to um, corroborate your story or my story, so that puts reasonable doubt, you know what I mean, in their head. But that's the point. All they have is circumstantial shit. They don't have no hard evidence. And if they did, it would have took them this long to arrest either of us. On the last episode, you all heard a secret tape where Eva discusses circumstantial evidence and how she thinks that's all there is in this case, and how she also believes that it's not enough to convict anyone for the murder of two-year-old Olivia Soto. I thought it would be fun if myself, Chris Carwile, Laura Carwile, and Chad Atwell each took turns presenting our case for murder charges against Eva Millard to show all of you listeners, as well as Eva Millard, just how much evidence there actually is against her to substantiate not only charging Eva Millard with the murder of her two-year-old daughter, Olivia Soto, but how much evidence there is to get a conviction of murder against Eva Millard. And I'm going first. So here is me, Sojo, presenting my case for murder charges against Eva Mae Millard for the murder of her two-year-old daughter, Olivia Soto. Eva Millard admitted several times throughout her interrogation on November 8th, 2018, that she was the last person to see Olivia Soto alive sometime around 4 a.m. in the morning. And then she started making noise, and I got up. Okay. And I picked her up, and I put her in bed with me. Well, she was talking. No, just blah, 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 because she can't really talk. So I put her back down, and I gave her a bottle, and her little head was on her pillow. And then I climbed back in bed, and I went to sleep. However... There was an eyewitness that heard Olivia Soto alive on the morning of November 8th, 2018, after Jordan Shreve left the home that morning. Under the covers and went back to sleep. Then I woke up again with the screaming going on. Then I thought it was her baby's. Why I was thinking this, it sounded like a kid screaming. Mm -hmm. So I thought... Like I told you that, uh, that I thought she was babysitting or something. And that's when I come out and walked on down the hall and went out to the garage. Which again proves that not only was Olivia Soto alive the morning of November 8th, 2018, after Jordan Shreve left the residence, but that she was alive in the custody and care of Eva Millard, the last person to see Olivia Soto alive. Now, if you caught it, he also said, as I told you, implying that he had previously told them this statement 
before this second discussion with police, which is not recorded in any police reports. But I'm going to let that go for now and continue my case against Eva Millard. Eva Millard told officers several times throughout her interrogation on November 8th, 2018, that she was asleep all morning. What time did you get up this morning? You mean got up, got up, mm-hmm. right before I seen her. I told you everything and I was asleep, so I wouldn't know anything else. The evidence, of course, completely contradicts this, as the phone records clearly show that Eva Millard was not only awake, but texting multiple people starting at 11.08 a.m. on the morning of November 8, 2018. Not only do the phone records prove that Eva being asleep all morning was an outright lie, Eva herself admitted during her interrogation on November 8, 2018 to the now sheriff of Crawford County, Daniel Perry, that she was awake and texting not only Jordan, but Jose the morning of November 8th. Uh, who's, who's the baby of um, Olivia? Jeff. Or the daddy of Olivia? Jose. I haven't even got a chance to call him. Have you talked to Jose lately? I talked to him yesterday. About what? About being sick. Have you texted him since yesterday? Actually, I had to send him a text this morning. I got on Facebook and I seen an old memory of us in the hospital with Olivia. I've seen pictures of her and him. That's oh, okay. it. That was just as soon as I opened my eyes, I checked my Facebook, smoking a cigarette. That was a... Uh, I woke up and I asked, I think I texted her and asked where I was at. Not only did she contradict her I'd been asleep all morning claim by then admitting that she was up and texting, she incorporated that she had opened her eyes and then got on Facebook and saw this Facebook memory of Olivia the day she was born and she then texts that picture to Jose and Jordan. The interesting thing about that is that the memory she's claiming to have seen on her Facebook would have actually occurred four days prior to November 8th. And phone records, as well as a Facebook subpoena, do not show her using Facebook nor saving a photo from Facebook onto her phone the morning of November 8th. This, of course, then begs the question of why Eva was thinking about that particular picture of Olivia Soto the morning that she was born. Was she feeling sentimental? Was this a picture that was already saved on her phone that she was thinking about when she woke up that morning and felt the need to text to Jose and Jordan? I guess she was feeling sentimental and was going through her phone looking for that image to send to Jose and Jordan for whatever reason, because phone records and Facebook records clearly show that on the morning of November 8th, 2018, she did not have that memory on Facebook and she did not save that photo from a memory on Facebook to her actual phone. She did, in fact, send a picture of Olivia Soto the day that she was born to Jose Soto as well as Jordan Shreve the morning of November 8th, 2018. But her version of events that she saw this memory on Facebook and as a result of that saved the image and texted it to Jose and Jordan is, of course, a complete and total lie. Eva sent another very interesting text message to Jordan Shreve at 11.13 a.m. that said, you're not going to take Billy back before you come home, are you? This is extremely interesting when you put it together with audio from the secret tapes where Eva multiple times makes this statement. It kind of uh, really messes with me because 
in that moment, I didn't necessarily know. A part of me was like, she's okay. A part of me was like, no, she's not. She wasn't okay. And I still v-lined for the bathroom like it was no thing. Messed with my head. Mm -hmm. I always felt guilty. Like, even though I, I kind of knew something was wrong, I still v-lined toward that pill. That's what I was telling you. Uh. The reason this is so compelling is because we know when Jordan got back to the house, he went straight to the bathroom to give Eva the pills that she so desperately wanted. And as she just stated, she knew something was wrong with Olivia before she ever met Jordan in the bathroom that morning. One could reasonably conclude that that would suggest that Eva Millard knew something was wrong with Olivia Soto before she ever texted Jordan Shreve that morning at 11.13 a.m. to come home with her pills before taking his friend home because she wanted a pill before having to deal with the death of her daughter. It would also make her persistent text to come home with her drugs before taking his friend home make more sense. I understand that she wanted to get her drugs as fast as possible. That part makes complete sense. However, it made no sense for him to come home before taking his friend home. He was closer at the location that he was at to his friend's house than his house, and it was only going to make him drive more to come home first before then leaving again to take his friend home, which would make one consider the possibility that perhaps she wanted him and was so persistent about him coming home before taking his friend home so that she could not only get her drugs faster, but so that there would be additional eyes to witness her quote-unquote discovery of Olivia Soto. It would have only been an additional 10 to 15 minute wait if she had not been so persistent that Jordan come home first and bring her drugs before taking Billy home. Therefore, it cannot go understated that there is clearly a motive and intent for self-benefit in her being so persistent that Jordan bring her drugs first and bring her the drugs with additional bodies still with him that she knew would be witnesses to what was to come next. It is clear, in my opinion, that this is the moment that Jordan Shreve was starting to be set up to take the fall for the murder of Olivia Soto, something that even Eva Millard herself said in a secret tape. Now I wish you wouldn't have came home first. Because then I'd have got up and I'd have done it myself and he wouldn't have, you know, came home and left. If that makes sense, he would have just taken them and dropped them off and then came home to whatever was going on. Right. So I feel like I set him up. You know what I mean? Like, oh, come home first. That way you can leave again and it looks like you've done it. You know what I mean? It just looks horrible. Because he left, came home, and then left. Are you still not convinced that Eva Millard was the only person who had the motive, means, and opportunity to murder Olivia Soto the morning of November 8th, 2018? Let's discuss a report that puts Eva Millard not only awake, but within inches of Olivia Soto not once, but twice, the morning of November 8th, the morning that Olivia Soto was murdered, 
A report that was hidden from the defense for well over a year and a report that to this day is still not a part of the Van Buren Police Department's official offense incident report for November 8, 2018. This report was written by Officer Chase DeCrew and it states as follows. At some point immediately after attempting CPR, I stepped into the master bedroom to wash the victim's blood off of my lips and mouth in the sink. Before doing so, I looked for any blood in the area and did not locate any. Before doing this, I had moved a can of Dr. Pepper that was sitting on the nightstand. When I picked up the can, I felt that it was about half full and was cool to the touch as if it had been recently opened within the last hour. I thought this was odd given Millard's statement to me about what had happened and how long it appeared that Soto had been injured. After I moved this can, I also moved another can that was sitting on the narrow headboard of the bed to confirm whether or not the can I had just moved was actually cool compared to another. The second can was nearly empty and was warm. Now for right now, I'm going to let go of the fact that this report that was hidden for so long and accidentally handed over, that still to this day is not a part of the official Van Buren Police Department's reports for November 8th, 2018, nor is there any indication whatsoever that it was amended or hidden. I'm going to let all of that go and focus on the important part, which is why something as minute as a Dr. Pepper can would be taken out of a police report, and that is... The significance of the Dr. Pepper can, which is this. In the master bedroom, Eva slept on the left side of the bed. At the foot of the bed was the pack and play where Olivia slept. And past that was the master bedroom closet where they had a mini fridge that they kept Dr. Pepper cans in. In order for Eva to have obtained a Dr. Pepper can, which she clearly did based on this report, Not only would she have had to have been awake, she would have had to walk past Olivia's pack and play with Olivia in it, not once, but twice, and been awake enough to consume half of the Dr. Pepper can. Again, I want to stress that that means Eva Millard was within inches in proximity to Olivia Soto, not once, but twice, the morning that she was murdered. That is the only way that she could have obtained a Dr. Pepper can to consume the morning of November 8th. As you heard in the last episode and earlier on this one, Eva mentions a lack of blood evidence. There's no blood. What's the point? I have a lot to say about blood evidence, but first, let's talk about blood evidence and what we know as it applies specifically to where blood was found at the crime scene. Blood was located in two areas at the crime scene, one being on the couch and the other being a drop of blood in the hallway, both of which ended up having two DNA contributors. In both locations, the major DNA contributor was Olivia Soto as to be expected. In both locations, there was also a minor DNA contributor, and the serology lab said that the sample was suitable for comparison purposes. The thing is, Van Buren Police Department never had that minor DNA contributor sample compared. And that, Eva Millard, is not circumstantial evidence. That is what we call individual evidence because it can be used to identify an individual. We also call that physical evidence, not circumstantial evidence. And I believe if they had compared that sample, it would have come back to a match to Eva Millard. 
which then, I believe, would directly tie Eva Miller to not only the murder of Olivia Soto, but to the cleanup of the crime scene. The crime scene photos show wet tile. You can tell that the grout is wet. You can see footprints that were tracked in on a non-rainy day because, oop, yep, the tile was wet. You can see a fan that is on pointing directly at the floor in front of the couch as if it's trying to speed up the drying of a freshly mopped floor. When Eva finally did call 911, she hung up after only mere seconds and told officers during her interrogation this. I called help later because nobody was coming. And about the time I, I um, called myself, I seen footprints coming up or shoes walking up to my front door. Well, where, I mean, where were you standing when you called? About a couch. Okay. I seen footprints, which is a really weird thing to say, but it would suggest that she had the vantage point of someone who would be, say, low to the ground, perhaps on their hands and knees, cleaning up a crime scene. The drop of blood in the hallway, it had been smeared, and if you follow the smear, you will find an out-of-place side table, and on the top of that side table is what appears to be shoe prints. And if you look up, it looks as if someone used that side table as a stepping stool to hide Lysol and paper towels on top of the fridge. We know from interrogation tapes and from evidence that there was a bloody wipe found in the kitchen trash can. We know from dash cam footage that the trash had been taken out and mischievously placed very oddly where it looked like it maybe perhaps could possibly belong to the neighbor and not them, and that's a trash bin that we know Jordan and Jim didn't take out that morning. A trash bin that was full that Van Buren Police Department let trash collect while they were at the scene. There is clearly a lack of blood evidence at the crime scene, which I believe, and the evidence shows, is a direct result of a cleanup, which I believe, and the evidence shows, Eva Millard is the one who cleaned it up. But I think the most telling lack of blood evidence is on Eva Millard herself. Eva Millard claims to have done a lot of things that morning with Olivia Soto. I laid her on the floor on her back, and I was trying to do CPR. So I picked her up, and that's when I picked her up like this. And I felt the, the liquid on my shoulder. So I came over there and I was hitting her harder. I was hitting her really hard, not really, really hard, but trying to get whatever was in her throat out. At this time, it was coming out of her nose, her mouth, and her ear. All of which should have resulted in blood transferring from Olivia to Eva Millard if she had done any of the things that she claimed to have done. And we know that Jordan noticed the blood on the couch when he approached between 911 calls, which was only a matter of seconds. You know? Yeah, because that's where I seen it. You know, Eva had her, was holding her, and then there's stuff on her shirt, I don't know, and then she went out to the couch or whatever, and, and then there was blood there. You know, that's, I wasn't there that long. I was trying to get him. The blood was already on the couch. Which means that the blood would have already had to have been transferred on the couch before Jordan ever arrived back at the house. Now, Jordan references something being on Eva's shirt he doesn't know, but he doesn't recall seeing blood on Eva Millard. Which would make sense given that there was no blood on Eva Millard in any of the dash cam footage or interrogation footage. Matter of fact, for someone who claims to have been in bed sick and been asleep, she looks awfully fresh and clean, as if she had just freshly showered. 
And most intriguing is that we know there was a shirt that Eva Millard was wearing that had blood on it. A shirt that we know from trial testimony was found in the washer. Which means Eva Millard, in the midst of all of this going on with her child, had the wherewithal to change clothes and then put the shirt in the washer, which one could only then reasonably conclude was to destroy evidence that her child's blood was on her. I cannot think of a single person who would be worried about having bodily fluid on their clothes in the midst of this situation and trying to save their child's life, which could then only lead one to reasonably conclude that she was so cognitively aware of her daughter's blood on her because it was there for nefarious reasons that she wanted to not only hide by changing clothes, but to destroy by putting it in the washer. We know that Eva Millard is a violent person, something that she herself has admitted to. But the thing is, is it's not in Jordan's DNA to be violent. No. And I know that. And it, because it is in my DNA to be violent. I mean, just ask a few teachers of mine <laughs> growing up. Just ask a few of them and they'll tell you. It is in me to be violent. Not only just violent, but violent against children. And she would take her anger out on children within her reach. I mean to whoop her. I was just so pissed off at Jordan. Fucking Jordan. Threw a fit about that couch for the whole time we had it. Don't let them kids ruin that couch every day. He told me that like a thousand times. And then one day I go in there and them kids are ruining the couch. And he's like, I don't care about the couch. You said what? <laughs> and I was pissed. I was more pissed at him than I was the girls. I was pissed at him. And I took it out on paint and I should have went outside. I was so mad at Jordan though. I was mad and I was gonna prove a point is what I was gonna do. An interesting admission of a behavioral pattern that she has, considering that she admitted that she was upset the morning of Olivia's death, and she was upset with Jordan. Just saying, though, she wasn't whining or nothing, but Jordan, he wasn't mad. He just said, do I need to go to the other room because I'm tired? And I was like, no, we will, because I thought he was mad at me for having her event. So what I'd done was I laid Olivia on her pillow, I'll never forget it because it was the last moment I had I laid her on her pillow. She looked up at me. She was happy. She didn't cry. And her bottle was half, half empty. So I went and I filled up her bottle and I put her bank on her and tucked her in and I kissed her on the forehead and turned out the light and crawled back in bed with Jordan. And then I was a little upset and I was like crying. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was just hormones or whatever, but I thought he was mad at me. And he said, why are you crying? And I was like, because I think you're mad at me. And then I told, yeah, I told him why. And he's like, no, baby. He's like, I was just tired. And then he put his arm around me and I fell asleep. The allegations of alleged abuse perpetrated by Eva Millard against her children wasn't just one that was said behind the scenes. It's actually something that had been documented to authorities. There is a document that keeps up with all of the child fatalities that occur in the state of Arkansas. Olivia Soto's name is, of course, on this document, and there is a section that is titled DHS Involvement. 
And next to Olivia Soto's name, underneath the DHS involvement category, they listed it as history, which speaks for itself and needs no further explanation. Additionally, we know there was also DHS involvement with her first child, according to the one who has custody of Eva Millard's first child. Since the day that Eva's first child was born, we have always had red flags. But the older she got, there was major red flags that initiated us taking her to the doctor and getting DHS involved. But Eva moved through the night so that DHS couldn't talk to her. And maybe if they would have followed up and taken things more serious, Olivia would still be alive today. The condition of Olivia Soto's body and crime scene photos, which, let me remind you, were not taken until 4.08 in the afternoon, according to the EXIF data on the images, which is almost four hours after first responders arrived on scene that day, quite clearly show that Olivia Soto could not have been dead more than a few hours. It takes a few hours for lividity to become visually apparent to the human eye. In the crime scene photos that feature Olivia Soto's body, again, which were not taken until 4.08 in the afternoon, show that lividity was just starting to set in on Olivia Soto's back. Nowhere else. The same goes for rigor mortis and Van Buren police officer Chase DeCrew in his police reports clearly indicates a lot of things that he did or claims to have done to Olivia Soto, which had there been rigor mortis at all setting in on this child, he absolutely would not have done. In the crime scene photos that feature Olivia Soto's body again, taken at 408 in the afternoon, they are photographed moving her around and moving her limbs which again is something that could not be done if she had been fully set in rigor mortis. It is quite obvious that she was not, and any medical professional who looks at the pictures is going to agree. Eva Millard also showed an unusual amount of interest in the alleged core body temp of Olivia Soto. A core body temp image that is shown to her by... Daniel Perry during the interrogation tapes, but I would also like to remind everyone that this alleged core body temp photo does not exist anywhere in evidence. The point is that when he shows her this alleged picture that doesn't exist anywhere in this case file, she then realizes, oh, they think that she died at a time where someone other than me could have possibly done it. And you can see and sense and hear the relief in her voice in that moment. And she begins to change her story based off of that. Or I should say changes her story once again based off of that alleged information. I could play the game of build a case to get murder charges against Eva Millard and get her convicted of murder all day. I could, because the evidence and the facts in this case quite clearly show and prove, in my opinion, that Eva Millard, without a doubt, murdered her two-year-old daughter, Olivia Soto. And I think that I have built a very compelling case in a very digestible way here today. So on that note, I am going to rest my case and leave you all with this. People are saying what they want to say because that's how things like this goes. People have their own opinion of everything. But you haven't talked to me. 
and I was the one that was there. She was my daughter. I was there. I know what happened. 